Hey there and welcome back to Eclectish, the podcast once again. I'm your host Em, back here with another mysterious and somewhat spooky episode. Not because of magic and things like that, but because of very much real persecution and abolition of certain groups, such as the one we're going to be talking about today. Of course, I'm talking about one of the most powerful, influential, wealthy and mysterious groups in human history, none other than the Knights Templars. This one is going to be quite informative and rich in detail, so I would definitely, without a doubt, recommend for you to grab a blanket, a cup of hot tea, and a snack to bite on while we get into the deep end of the Knights Templars and their mission on Earth. Comfortable? Well, let's dive in. Of course, as you all know by now, to get a deep understanding of anything really, if you look up the etymology, that already speaks in itself volumes, and in this case, is no different. The Knights Templar. Now, the origins of the famous name of such a large order, or I guess you could call it society even, initially derived from the name Popes Comilitones Christi Templique Salomonizzi, which translates to the poor fellow soldiers of Christ and of the Temple of Solomon. Whom actually came up with the name was actually the founder, named Hughes de Paines, whom was a French knight present in Jerusalem at the time of the Crusades. Here, he was first-hand witness of the massacres occurring between Christian people on pilgrimages to Jerusalem and groups of marauders. Because of such killings, the knight actually decided to approach the king at the time of Jerusalem, whom was King Baldwin the second and his right-hand man the patriarch Warmund. Here he convinced them of his solution which was to create a group of Christian knights aka a monastic order in order to help fellow Christians to go to the Holy Land without interference and or harm. To which actually they wholeheartedly agreed and actually made official at the Council of Nablus a year later in January 1120. After this, the king decided to grant a wing of the royal palace to the knights permanently. Here is where the Temple of Solomon part makes sense, since the palace is said to have been built on top of the ruins of the Temple of Solomon on the Temple Mount in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Another very distinct way that the Knight Templars made themselves very much noticeable and different was actually their seal, which was double-sided and consisted of two major things. On one side present was the Dome of the Rock, also known as the Circular Dome of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Whilst on the other hand, and the most prominent design, was where there were two knights on one horse's back. They essentially were sharing the horse, signifying a lack of funds or straight up just poverty, which isn't surprising since that was one of the requisites in order to even enter that order, which we're going to get into later in the Latin rule. Now onto the purpose and the Latin rule of the Templars orders. Even if the initial drive of the first few centuries was to essentially help Christian people travel safely from one continent to another in their pilgrimages, it soon turned into another mission which was to essentially fight certain battles in the name of Christ. Not only that, but protect countries from any attack, primarily from Muslim troops. However, in order to do such a thing, it is obvious that you're going to need some sort of financial stability. And of course, training. So how did they manage that part? Well, their so-called impoverished front really didn't last that long since once the Pope at the time, whom was Pope Innocent II, actually supported the Knights to the point that he gave a what is called papal bull, which is basically a paper which the Pope has to sign in order to authorize or claim something as authentic. The ones he signed for the Templars was actually under the name of Omne Datum Optimum, which translates to every perfect gift, deriving from the Epistle of James. Here he authorized the following. The overall existence and the mission of the Knight Templars 
is known as the Templar rule. They were also granted papal protection, not only that, but also were completely exempted from the obedience to local laws and institutions, which was they no longer had to worry about borders, they didn't have to pay taxes, and they didn't have to listen to authorities besides the Pope. Now, because of the lack of restrictions, I guess you could say, and law interferences, not to mention the overall ideal behind such a movement, what occurred was the Knight Templars became extremely attractive to donations or donors, which is why it is no surprise that they actually began to accept large donations. The first donator actually being one of the founding knights' nephews. He, being a church leader in the Cistercian order, managed to actually use his already well-established influence in order to convince people of faith of celebrating the new, and I quote, in praise of the new knighthood. Basically, a sponsorship, <laughs> if we really think about it. What occurred is that more people of the Christian faith abundantly began to donate, whether it was food, money, resources, land and objects. Soon, before anyone could realize it, the Knights Templar had accumulated quite a large bit of wealth across the Christendom, which they utilized to build temples, buy castles and land, travel to different countries, which they set up more bases in. They would buy more cavalry, buy ships, amongst many other things. With this newfound wealth, they actually managed to also pretty much become the first multinational corporation. So how, you may be wondering. Well, unbeknownst to them, the impact that such a creation would cause in the future, they essentially built the first bank. This is because often people, especially of the Christian faith, whom would travel and pilgrimage or were interested in going out into the field to fight or whatever or even work under the Templar society put their trust in them like no other. So these people were extremely satisfied from the work in the field that the knights had done so far for society which we're going to get into in a minute and therefore because of their reputation people now entrusted them with their finances, which then in turn led to the first money exchange internationally. Since people that would now travel safely to the Holy Land would initially put their European money in the Templars' hands. They then would receive a sort of check, pretty much, which they could then charge or validate in Jerusalem and change it for the local coin. They also gave out loans, collected debt, fabricated checks, and through this very much strong financial foundation, they also began to be able to make bigger purchases worldwide. They also slowly but surely got involved in manufacturing, import and export, and of course, international trading. Now onto the famous battles. Some of the most famous or recognized things of the Knight Templars was the fact that all of them had already pretty much been trained and had officially been knights. And then they would enter the order and learn new warfare tactics and just apply these on the battlefield. Now, I wouldn't say they were aggressive per se, but what frightened oppositions was more so the unbreakable perseverance, which was terrifying coming from the knights. Since one of the main rules in their order, especially uh, to the actual warriors, was to pretty much never give up, even if they were on the brink of death. Now, that rule already seems kinda insane to you, wait till you hear the rest, which all formed what is called the Latin rule. Now the Latin rule in its very essence was pretty much like the Ten Commandments but larger. <laughs> in fact, I guess you could say the shortened version contained 72 rules in total, which had to be followed regardless of circumstances. The, the thing here that is confusing is that it actually begins quite normal, and I guess you could say even redundant since some of these are common sense. Yet, as we go more into depth, 
the complexity of the rules just kind of keeps increasing. Now, the original Latin rule wasn't actually written down initially. What occurred was that the Knight Templars wanted to be granted the Papal Bull. So they were actually called up to show in the Council of Troy, where they had to pitch, I guess you could say, the their purpose and their already set rules which they followed adamantly and convinced not only the king but everyone present why they should be able to do such a thing in the first place luckily as previously mentioned they got the green light however one of the founders whom had actually done most of the talking and convincing actually only spoke french uh, yet the texts at the time were in latin this means that already there may have been some sort of faulty translation. Nonetheless, later on, this now transcribed set of rules in Latin had to now also be translated into the original speech language, which was French. After several translations and throughout time, only some prevailed of the initial 72 or 68 rules. The most talked about or correctly translated and safely kept are the following. Number one, they had to sign an oath to permanently be in poverty or chastity. Now, chastity is basically having no sex. So they had to be completely celibate from the moment they entered the order. Number two, they had to share bowls with fellow members and eat in pairs. This was because of the lack of bowls for everyone. And they would also have to eat in silence and observe each other quietly which is awkward to say the least. Um, number three, on the topic of food, they actually had a maximum of meat intake weekly, which was three meals. This is because meat was known to corrupt the body. Number four, they couldn't leave the table unless there was some sort of emergency, such as an unsuspected attack, some sort of medical issue, and or an attack on the farm animals, or some sort of fire. When that was solved, they could actually return to the table safely, should they so wish to. Number five, if for some reason, a specific brother of the order was under penance or punishment. He had to sit by himself completely alone at the front of the lodge or house and eat on the ground rather than on a table. Number six, on Good Friday, everything was thoroughly cleansed tables, cups, chairs, everything because the members had to eat straight off of the table with no napkin involved. This was in order to celebrate that particular day. Number seven, they weren't allowed to DIY or customize any of their tunics or just in general wear because this was seen as an attempt to differentiate themselves. Uh, not only this, but they assumed that this was based off of arrogance and ego. Number eight, they were also only to wear three particular colored garments, which were white, signifying purity and chastity, black, typically utilized by surgeons, and lastly, brown for lesser brothers because yes there was also a hierarchy number nine they also weren't allowed to wear pointy shoes sandals or any footwear that had shoelaces since according to them this is what pagans wore number 10 they also couldn't carry any type of money on them for if they died with it they would be accused of robbery since they had signed an oath of poverty. If one of the brothers was found with money in his pockets, he would be condemned to be buried, not anywhere near his fellows, but rather far away. Also, the ceremony wouldn't be a typical one since they would be forced to bury the ex-brother away like a slave. Number 11, they had to have no sort of relationship to any women. <laughs> they had to be completely single. They couldn't have relations with a woman and couldn't even touch women since women at the time were seen as elements of distraction and would take men and make them sin, which sounds like a whole bunch of misogynistic, disgusting victimizing of men to me. This didn't only apply to strangers though, but also their mothers, their aunties, their sisters, their cousins. They essentially 
had to leave any sort of relationship whatsoever in order to stay in a castle full of men. Now, number 12, they also had no permission whatsoever to adjust their attunements or belts or swords without the permission of a master. This included also asking permission for bathing, take any sort of medicine, or even ride a horse without permission. Lastly, number 13, they also were not allowed to, of course, bring children into this world, since this would mean the breaking of like five other rules as we mentioned previously. However, if by some miracle this man had a baby out of nowhere, he shouldn't raise them since this was a sin, okay? (laughs) Amongst many, many more. That was an inkling of how much on a leash these men were at all times. Honestly, it kind of sounds like a prison to me, but anyways. (laughs) 